Well, good morning. Good to see the sun shining today, huh? Yeah, anybody tired of the, the rain and the clouds? Amen. All right. So, so I'm, I'm glad some of you say no, and, and, I, and I, I get how when, when things kind of linger a little longer than, than they're welcome, we start to get a little tired of it. But just remember, like in late August, when usually we're all dried out and dying for some rain and some relief from this, you got it right now, right? You got exactly what you will be asking for here in a couple months. So enjoy it. Enjoy it while you got it. All right. Uh, so my name is Ben Keller. For those of you that don't know me, uh, if you're new here, uh, I'm not a pastor here. Uh, I am one of uh, the former board elders, um, and, and our elders here are kind of like Marines. It means once you're an elder, you're always an elder. So uh, I, am, I am of that crew. So try ask me to, to, to preach on, on this week's topic of joy. Uh, try called me yesterday, though. He called me up and said, so uh, Ben... What you doing? I said, oh, doing a little sermon prep. He goes, yeah, about that. He's like, we, uh, we got a lot going on tomorrow. We got the baby dedication, and we got Quentin talking. So uh, I'm like, what are, you, what are you getting at, Try. What's your point? <laughs> so, so, so we don't have as much time as we normally do, but the good news is, is I don't care, right? So we're just going to plow through and do whatever we got to do. No, I, I did. I, I, I tried to shorten things up, so I, I, I trimmed my 32 pages of notes down to 31 and a half, so I think we're going to be fine. Look, I feel really confident we'll be out of here by one, so, so um, if you need to get up and stretch, go ahead and get up and stretch. All right, let's go ahead and get started. So uh, just a little context here. If you've got your Bibles, uh, please open it up. If, you, if you've got an online Bible or a digital Bible, turn it on. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. Uh, I would encourage you to have your, your, your Bible open as we go through this. And, and I, I'm significantly lazier than try, so I don't have all the Scripture. I have the Scripture references up on the screen, but I don't have all the words. So use your Bible. We're going to start in Galatians 5, and I'm just going to give a little context to where, we're, where we are and where we're going to be going over the next few weeks. So Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 16. I'm just going to read through this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We live by the Spirit. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for, for bringing us here. We thank you for your word. And we ask, Father, as we dig into your word this morning, that you would bless us, that you would uh, enlighten your word to us by the power of your Spirit. And you might change us, God. So, so we, we thank you and ask for your, your guidance as we uh, spend time Worshiping you through your word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the fruit of the Spirit. He, here's what we have to, we have to kind of look at this in the context we're, we're given here. So, 
So Paul is comparing being led by the flesh, which, which being led by the flesh is essentially being led by desires that satisfy you. If you're making yourself the priority, if you're making the, the gratification of you, yourself, you're being led by the flesh. So if you're making yourself number one, if everything is about you, the world kind of revolves around you, then you're being led by the flesh. Versus being led by the Spirit. If you're led by the flesh, if you're led by your earthly, selfish desires, then your life is going to look like this first list of things. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. All these things, they're just going to be evidence that you are being led by the flesh. On the other hand, he says, but if you're led by the Spirit. So, so when we get down in... In verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Another way to say that is how he said that up in 19. So in 19, he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. So if you use that same language down here in 22, it said, now the work of the Spirit is evident. So same thing. So what I'm getting at here is the fruit of the Spirit is not a list of attributes that we should be chasing after. We shouldn't be trying to pursue this list of attributes. Rather, this list of attributes is simply evidence of the Spirit's work in our life. Do not pursue love. Do not pursue joy. Rather, pursue walking in the Spirit. Love, joy, gentleness, all these things will follow. Okay? So it's not a list of things to chase after, but a list of things to just simply kind of mark where you're at. Like, okay, what does my life look like? Not, not necessarily to other people, but if I, if I examine my heart, what does my heart look like? In, in my thoughts, which, which, which of these two lists do my thoughts chase to when, when the lights go out at night or when I'm at work? You know, what, what, where does my heart follow? Is it, does it look like the first list or the second? So what I want us to, to do today is to look at, look at how the Spirit changes our lives that we might enjoy joy, right? Rather than how do we chase after joy. I, I think when we start to chase after the fruit of the Spirit, when we try to just go after love, when we try to go after joy, when we try to make these things our own, we, we leave God out of it and we make it about ourselves. And, and, and I think as a church, we've been kind of bad about that really for, for a long time, even, even in the way we present the gospel. Oftentimes we present the gospel in such a way that says, Hey, if you want to be saved, if you want to have a better life, why don't you choose this? Pursue this, and you'll be better off. Well, th that's, again, making, making it about us. What do I get out of this? And, and what Paul's teaching us here is it's not about you. It's about you walking in the Spirit. And when you walk in the Spirit, you're blessed. There's blessing in that. Don't chase the blessing. Chase honoring God. All right. Rather than chasing after these things, we're just, we just want to learn how to abide in Christ. When we learn how to abide in Christ, we just get closer to Him. And the closer we get to Him, the more like Him we start to, to, start to follow. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're just walking in the Spirit, right? You pursue that. And these things become evident in your life. Joy, like love, is simply evidence of walking in the Spirit. So now we're going to get into to joy specifically. The word joy that's used here in, in this is the Greek word kara, which simply means inner gladness. 
But it's more than just simply being glad. It's certainly more than simply being happy. When we think of the word, we oftentimes relate those terms, right? And I think most of us recognize that joy is, is, is something more than just happy or glad. Um, happiness would be an emotion, a, a feeling, a feeling of, of satisfaction, right? We're, and it's going to be dependent upon the circumstances you're experiencing at that point in time. Where joy is a little more enduring. In fact, I think what we'll see today is that joy, when it's fulfilled, is kind of the, the utmost fulfillment of satisfaction. It's a completeness of, of ultimate satisfaction. And we experience that in this life in its incomplete form. But we're, we're striving for this completeness of joy. And I think, I think what we experience someday in heaven is joy fulfilled. If you're a Buddhist, which I, I don't think many of you are in here, you've got this term nirvana. Buddhists have a term nirvana, which is this, this uh, status of ultimate enlightenment where you, you completely are separated from self and you're just in a state of satisfaction. Really, that's not a lot different than what the Bible teaches us about joy. Now, now, theologically, they're different, okay? They're not the same, but it's this idea that when, when you are able to be where God wants you to be, when you're following his design in your life, you experience a satisfaction way beyond yourself, way beyond yourself, and that is joy. That's what we're talking about here today. There's two key things I want to talk about today. What is joy, which is what I just covered. And the second thing is, how do we get there? All right. I think pure joy, and we see, we see, you see pictures of a little kid, right? And they just got, you know, they just got a toy or, or they just experienced some new thing. And you see the smile on their face and their eyes light up. And you say, man, that is that is pure joy right there, right? And that's such a cool thing. We, we all wish we could experience that kind of innocent like joy where we don't have just the burdens and the stresses of life that weigh us down. But what I'm telling you is the joy that God has in store for you is that very thing where the burdens and stresses in your life that normally take you down, the joy that God gives us says, no, be joyful even in that. You, you don't let that get you down. There, there's still joy. Pure joy is only attainable through the work of God in our lives, specifically the Spirit. All right, I want to look at a few passages here. So again, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn, turn to these. We'll cruise through these. So Psalm 16, King David writes this. And he starts it, Preserve me, O God, for in you... I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And cruise to the end of chapter 13, uh, 16. In verse 11, he says, you make known to me the path of life. Your presence is fullness of joy. Your presence, God, is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Skip a few pages to Psalm 30. Notice the key in there that your presence, God's presence is the fullness of joy. Chapter 30, Psalm chapter 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. 
Go down to verse 4. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. All right, you see, you see this idea throughout Scripture of joy being a state of your, your mind, your soul, but it's, it's resting in the assurance of something to come. So King David here says, joy comes in the morning. That, that doesn't literally mean that when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to feel better than I do right now. What that means is there's a promise of things to come that's going to be so much greater and so much better than what it feels like I'm being burdened with tonight. And if we look at that over time, the being burdened by tonight means this life. Joy in the morning is what God has in store for us for eternity. There's a, a sense of joy that is built on the assurance of things to come. And also notice here in verse thir- or chapter 30 that he's talking about how he has these foes who are attacking him, but God has protected him. So he's not without tribulation, right? David is going through hard times. Uh, in Psalm 23, he says, he says, either I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He's walking through the valley of shadow of death. That's a scary place to walk, right? And, and David, we see through David's life, he went through some difficult, difficult circumstances. Right? His wives are kidnapped. His family's taken away from him. He's being, he's being hunted after and tried to be killed by, by people who, who were supposedly on his side. A hard life David lived through. But he would find joy knowing that he was in God's hands. And God had a perfect plan for him. And when you rest in that assurance, you can find joy. That idea of, of finding joy in something that you're not yet experienced, but you know is out there, is something we can relate to. Uh, this last spring, we took our kids to Florida, and we went to Disney World. And I remember the, the journey from, the, from where we stayed to Disney World. And you got to navigate through traffic, and then you got to find some place to park about seven miles away from where you're trying to get to. And then you walk for a ways to get to a little shuttle. You take that shuttle to a line. You stand in line for about another 40 minutes. And then when you get through the end of that line, you get on this little tram where you're crammed in there with a million other people. And, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, is the day over yet, right? But then I look at my son, and he's just got this big smile on his face. He's crammed in this little tram. He's got a smile on his face, right? He's experiencing the joy, not from sitting in that tram, but he knew of something that was coming that he was really excited about, right? And so you can endure those hard things when you've got your mind set on that beautiful thing waiting for you. It's easier to focus on the joy there, right? And if you're less excited about that thing to come, it's harder to experience the joy in the moment. But David, David recognized that. David recognized the goodness of, of being in God's hands. He recognized the, what God had in store for him. And that allowed him to endure. Not just endure, but to be joyful, to rejoice in his sufferings. Those are a look at David's perception. Now, here's, here's a little bit of a look at uh, Jesus' perspective on this topic. So, in, in Hebrews 12... We see the author of Hebrews write for us here and says, um, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, referring to some of the Old Testament um, 
people who, who showed their faith in God. Um, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So like the Keller family navigating this journey to Disney World, Jesus also went through some difficult times, right? That's a silly comparison. But the idea there is Jesus' life was not full of roses and, and roller coasters, right? He, he had a difficult, difficult walk while he was here on this earth, a very painful walk with an even more painful death. Yet for the joy set before him, he endured that. What was the joy set before him? Well, to answer that question, we flip to John. I'm going to start in John 17. And, and, I'm, and I'm going to, so I'm going to be reading out of Jesus' prayer here. And I'm just going to be picking snippets of it. So kind of, kind of follow with me. So, so this is Jesus praying to God the Father. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Okay? So we, we know here that that's part of the joy set before him, is to, to upon his death and resurrection, be reunited with the Father and share in that glory. But he goes on to say, that this eternal life that they know, talking about the people who have been following him, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, he starts to talk about sharing his glory with the people who have been following him, his disciples, those who have chosen to follow him. He's sharing his glory with them. He says in verse 10, All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them, and I no longer am in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Father, And he goes on here, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So Jesus is praying to the Father that those who have been following him would be united as one, one community, that that community would share in Jesus' glory. And in verse 13, he says, But now I am coming to you again, Father, And these things I speak in the world that they, meaning the the people united in his name, may have my joy fulfilled in them. So you see how Christ, it's it's about Christ. It's about Christ being glorified. But here's the amazing thing about this and why Christ is worth being followed is because Christ is the one worthy of the glory. He's the one worthy of the joy. He says, but I don't want it for myself. I want it for all of you. And he shares his glory with us. And he shares his joy, the joy of being the creator of the universe, the savior of all, knowing that he's the one who satisfies the law. He is the one who rescues us from our depths of the pit. He's the one who is with David, who's with Paul, who's with us. And, and knowing that he has this authority to do this as a gift for us, that joy he experiences, he wants to pass that on to us. He wants to share that with you. And not just for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, I'm, I'm in verse 20, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in you, 
He's talking about those who are following him at the time. He says, not only those, but those who eventually will believe in me. That's, that's us here, right? Who have believed in Jesus based on the word that was shared down through time. His prayer is that we would all be one. That there would be this unity that we all get to share. And in that, his joy would be fulfilled in us. We see this more just a couple pages earlier. This is Jesus talking to his disciples in chapter 15. He says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, that is, bear fruit, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See how it's all kind of coming back together here? All right, so, so Jesus is saying, my prayer to the Father is that, Father, your plan would be fulfilled, that I would be glorified, and that I would take with me all these followers, and they would be unified in my name. We would all share the same joy. The way we get there, the way that happens, is we abide in Christ. You see, it's our abiding in Christ, that means living in, dwelling in, not just like having a relationship with, but being a part of. Like you abide in your home. You're in your home. That's where you are. That's where you stay. We've got to learn to stay in Christ, right? It's in that relationship that we bear fruit. Okay, now, take that back to where we started in Galatians 5, right? That we want to bear the fruit of the Spirit. This is how it's done. We abide in Christ. The Spirit comes into us. And through that relationship, now we can bear fruit. We can show evidence of our abiding in Christ. Paul has more to say about this. So in Romans 15, Paul is describing the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles and how, how the, Gentile, or the Jews have this obligation to share the truth of Christ with the Gentiles that the Gentiles might have hope. And here's how he describes that in chapter 15, verse 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So remember when I said that joy rests in the assurance of something to come. That's what Paul's saying here. The God of hope, the God of, of, of this thing for you that you're not experiencing yet, but I've got it guaranteed for you in the future. That's what our, our hope lies in that. And because our hope lies in that, we get to experience joy. Paul says in 14, verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to walk in, in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is built around peace, hope, and joy. Now, now here's the thing we have to, where I have to build in this little caution here. The things we enjoy in this life are not bad things. So he says the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, right? Well, that's, that's, that's true. It's not about eating and drinking. But God has given us the gift of eating and drinking and so many other pleasures in this world that we can enjoy. And it's good for us to enjoy those things. God wants us to enjoy those things. That's why he created us to enjoy those things. But here's the problem. The problem is when we start to replace 
The ultimate things, peace, hope, joy, love, walking in the Spirit, when we replace that with the pleasures of this world, when we start to make the things we enjoy the ultimate thing, everything God creates to be good, to be perfect for you, Satan tries to counterfeit and convince you something else is better, right? And if you've convinced yourself that easy pleasure is more satisfying than walking in the Spirit, experiencing God's blessing, man, you're missing out. You're missing out on what is really good, right? Now, here's, here's why it's really important to, to, to measure where our, the status of our heart is to these lists. Because if we just put in our lives, if we just put in our lives some benchmarks of things to do to show love, to make it look like we're joyful, to, look like it, to make it look like we're living out the fruit of the Spirit, if they're just things that we exhibit on the outside but are not the condition of the heart, we might be doing the exact same thing, but it's not glorifying to God. It's not abiding in Christ. Here's what I mean by that. Husbands, buying your wives flowers, is that good or not good? Good, right? No one's saying that's bad, right? Now, does that show that you love your wife? It might, right? I mean, it looks like that on the surface, but here's the reality. A lot of us will do things like that for selfish desire. We might want something from our wife, right? And this is, this, is, this is the reality, that oftentimes the good things we do in this world, we're doing for our own selfish desire. We're doing to satisfy self. The fruit of the Spirit says you're doing this from the heart to honor God. And, and the joy you experience is not the joy in having done this thing, but the joy is having honored somebody outside of yourself. This, this joy being made full is only done by the power of the Spirit, but it's not just about our vertical relationship with God. So, Paul, several times, I'm not going to read these, we'll kind of quickly go through here. In Philippians and 1 Thessalonians, he's telling his audience, so he's writing to the church in, in Philippi, and he says, Look, I, I, I want to be with you guys, but I can't. There's a lot of circumstances, but I, I want to be there with you because I love you. In being with you, you make my joy complete. So he says the same thing in, in Thessalonians. He says, you, you bring me glory and joy, people. He, he's writing to the people, not God. Now, how do we justify that? Well, we go back to what Jesus' prayer was in John 17 where he said, God, bring these people together as one people. Right? So when we're living out our call to God and we're sharing his, his glory with other people, we're creating this bond with other people that, that in our obedience, in sharing God's truth with other people and having a relationship outside of self and outside of just me and God, but as a church, God blesses that with that joy. That's, that's part of fulfilling what God wants us to be because that's what Jesus is saying he wants to see happen is this, the unity of the church that happens through relationship. 
That happens through a relationship. So many of us say, man, I, I believe in God. I have great faith in God, and, and um, that, that's just good enough for me, and, and maybe I'll do church on the mountain or whatever. And, um, the reality is, is he calls us to be in relationship with one another. If you're not being sharpened by somebody, or if you're not sharpening somebody, you're missing part of your calling. You're missing part of what God has designed you to do. And because of that, you're lacking joy that God has in store for you. It's through Paul's obedience to be in relationship with other people that his joy is made complete. All right, James. I, I had thought about just doing the whole message right out of James, and, and, and that would have been a good place to go. That would have been a, a, a good sermon. Uh, so James chapter 1. James writes here in this letter, he says in, in verse 2, Count it all joys, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness have it, has its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy. That's hard to do. It's harder to do some days than others, to count it all joy. But you see, God has put you where he's put you on purpose. You're going through what you're going through, and it has meaning. And if you don't do it, and if you, if, if you don't do it, you're not going to experience the fullness that God has in store for you. If you don't go through that. Now, you can go through it complaining and whining and moaning, wishing you had different circumstances, or you can know that through this trial, through this difficult thing I'm going through, God is going to make me perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, that doesn't get fulfilled here in this life, but it gets fulfilled. It's guaranteed, and you can trust that and have hope in that and place your joy on that. So count it all joy. Count it all joy when you get that terrible diagnosis. Count it all joy when you experience a, an unplanned pregnancy. Count it all joy when you lose your job for a reason you don't feel like you should have. Count it all joy when you got arrested for that thing that you shouldn't have been doing. Count it all joy when that person leaves your life earlier than you wanted them to. Count it all joy because there's nothing that happens that doesn't have meaning. There's nothing that happens that doesn't have a perfect purpose designed and ordained by God that he can't make something beautiful out of it. And he will. And he will. And if you can't get excited about the beautiful thing that God is doing in your life, like Phil says, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet, right? You, you've got to be able to tune your focus into that amazing thing God is doing and that he wants to do in you. And if you can get excited about that, then you start to experience the joy. Because when you get excited about that, you want to pursue that. When you start to pursue that, that's when you start to draw close to Christ. When you start to draw close to Christ, that's when you start to abide in him. And as you abide in him and grow that relationship, now all of a sudden you're walking in the spirit. 
And you're no longer being led by your fleshly, earthly desires to satisfy yourself, but you're looking for ways to satisfy God, to satisfy your spouse, to satisfy your children. And I'm not talking about just being a people pleaser. I mean, you're looking at ways to honor people around you in a way that does ultimately satisfy yourself. But you let God satisfy you, not you. If you try to satisfy you through your own actions, you're just a sucky God, and it's not going to work out well for you. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. If you want to continue to walk in the flesh, if you want to continue to pursue your own satisfaction and desires, you will be ultimately left empty. empty. There's emptiness to it. And I know it's easy. Look, I know it's easier to just go to that thing that feels good at the moment. But ultimately, you're going to be empty. And no one prefers... Honestly, no one. Hardly any of us prefer the hot dog versus the filet mignon, right? And if you are pursuing life in the flesh, you're pursuing the hot dog. When God has a, a, a table, like, like in Psalm 23, he has a table prepared for you. The table is not hot dogs. It's filet mignon, right? It's, it's the best. God has in store for you the best. And you experience that by drawing near to him, not so that you can receive gifts, but because he's worthy of drawing near to. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the gifts you have in store for us. We thank you for the way you love us and want to share your glory with us, God. Not because we deserve it, but because you're just that amazing. So we thank you for that, Lord. We, we just ask you, Father, now to, to, to open the door to us that we might see how we can abide in you more closely and we might draw near to you and that in that we might experience the joy you have in store for us, Father. We thank you for this day and ask that you would guide us through the rest of our time this week and, and uh, that you would just continue to love us and we might feel that love. In your name we pray, amen.